Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Hi, welcome to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. Today, I would like to welcome Glenn Engler, who is a managing director at Parthenon EY in Boston. Previously, Glenn was the global chief strategy officer at Edelman. He was also the CEO at Digital Influence Group and president of Digitas Boston for nearly 10 years. Glenn is an industry veteran with nearly three decades of experience in business strategy, marketing, brand development, and communications. We met at Digital Influence Group in 2012, where I worked as a senior digital producer. Digital marketing, social media, and creative are exciting topics for me. They have been certainly more than just a backdrop of Phase World podcast. This is a rare opportunity for me to connect with Glenn, not only on a professional level, but also a personal level. I quickly learned that he has guest lectured in undergrad and graduate schools, uh, courses at many universities in Boston. He also hosted a bi-weekly podcast series called Market Edge, uh, where he interviewed industry-leading marketers and innovators back in the day. Business aside, Glenn is a member of the advisory board for Organize, a nonprofit organization to end organ donation crisis. He is also on the board of directors for Horizons for Homeless Children, where he's a member of the executive committee and co-leads the development and brand strategy committee. Horizons for Homeless Children is focused on Massachusetts. Um, it is maniacally focus on trying to break the cycle of childhood homelessness. The statistics, which are pretty hard to pin down exactly, mm -hmm. are even ballpark painful that there's estimates there's 1.3 million homeless children in the United States. There's about 110,000 in Massachusetts. The average age of a homeless person in Massachusetts is eight. When you sort of step back and think about kids, homelessness, Massachusetts, it's one of those causes where you go, it's just not right. It's not okay that we have that problem. And so I'm fortunate to be able to, you know, try to help with some marketing and business um, skills and fundraising skills. And it's it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. In our podcast, we dive deep into Glenn's leadership experience, style, five people who have inspired him, his daily ritual routines. We also talked about the world of digital strategy, social media, which is what he calls a mashup of fascination. Glenn addresses the importance of having different talents and disciplines on the team. The compulsive organized side to help complement creativity. They have to go hand in hand. If not, it would just be a wonderful chaos that doesn't go anywhere. But most importantly, we have to see people as people. This one hour podcast shares many of Glenn's success stories as well as challenges while he led some of the biggest and most recognizable agencies in Boston, United States and worldwide. It's not just about work. Family always comes first. Glenn is close to his family, wife of over 30 years and two kids who are still very close to him. When the kids were younger and home, and I think this was beaten into me a little bit, um, pressed upon me by my dad, who was a very successful uh, executive in the business world. He was always home for dinner when he wasn't traveling. And so it's something that we as a family have been fortunate 
to be focused on, which is when I was not out of town, I always tried to be home for dinner with the kids. If you enjoy this episode, please help share with others, such as family and friends. Thank you for joining me in this movement to celebrate real stories by real people from all walks of life. Just so you know, each long-form interview episode takes about 10 to 15 hours to record, edit, and refine, but there is never a dull moment. Without further ado, please welcome Glenn Engler to the Phase World Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Glenn, in your in your beautiful home. And I had complete unexpected, a dream come true experience with all the kittens downstairs. <laughs> I am so pumped. So uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast. And we've met in 2012. Um, you were the CEO of the company. I was working for a digital influence group. Yep. Um, before that, you were the president of Digitas for nearly 10 years and mm-hmm. most recently at Edelman. Mm-hmm. And what a... What an unbelievable experience because when people print out my resume, they say it's too long. And today I tried to print out yours and I realized you have so much, you know, beyond just work. But um, there's so many organizations you're involved in. And I wonder what what gets you excited these days and what are your passion projects and what makes you happy? (laughs) Well, a bunch of different questions. So um, let me start with what. I guess what gets me excited, um, I think the world of marketing, business strategy, um, organizations, people, talent, digital, social media is such a mashup of fascination. And uh, what you, if you leave work on a Friday and you wake up on a Monday morning, things have changed over the weekend, whether it's Um, You just go industry after industry after industry and technology after technology from wearables to who would have thought Mm -hmm. a few years ago you'd be realizing that the best way to get around a city is by looking at your phone and calling up a connected set of drivers out there in this thing called Uber or you're taking a vacation and it's not hotels but you're looking at an Airbnb or you're um, what Amazon has done to the retail process. And so to me, it's so interesting because if you think about all the changes that are going on from a business advisor to a CEO or the their business, there's questions about, I have new competitors I have to think about and what's going on with um, uh, how we bill people and how we make our money. Mm-hmm. If you think about the services industry, how that's changed and um, so dramatically. If you think about new skills that are needed, uh, who would have thought that um, now, if you look at probably the most valuable skills that are out there, it's coding, engineering, and analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the old math geeks from long ago are absolutely critical in absolutely everything we do. So it's just a constant pace of change that from a um, individual in the industry, as an advisor in the industry, as a, whether it was an agency or consultant firm, um, it something's changing all the time. And I think the fact that it's not static is, to me, the most exciting. Mm. Does it make you feel overwhelmed at all? Because I feel like when other people in or outside of advertising are like, I can't keep up with this. 
but you you always stayed relevant and we're going to talk about your writing as well you write nearly on a weekly basis mm -hmm. so how do you kind of stay relevant and still get excited instead of feeling overwhelmed it can be overwhelming i think if you try to keep up with everything you clearly will will fail and i remember talking to people about uh, writing a blog and what should you write about and um, i think it's sort of how we've always looked at great talent mm -hmm. like yourself coming into an agency you're looking for really interesting people that have a point of view that are mm -hmm. curious and i love absolutely 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 love the word curious um, i think in today's world given so much stuff that's out there curiosity is the most important skill to have and so there's a bunch of things. I still love the newspapers, um, mm -hmm. the printed form, but I'll read key ones electronically. There's some, you know, interesting courts as a daily email. I actually love. It's a, they're just moving to, to mobile. They've just announced that. But um, it's, you know, silly to think of, gee, an email is something that is a must read, but it's must read. And there's little snippets of 15 to 20 headlines. Mm -hmm. And I've found myself, I'll do the quick scan we long ago talked about when we were together at Digital Influence Group about snackable content. And it's, mm -hmm. what's the quick snackable headlines? And then you turn the corner and say, that's interesting. I'm going to dive into it further. Or I've got enough to, you know, whet the appetite a little bit. And so I try to go as much a mile wide and inch deep and then dive into, mm -hmm. um, someone said it's sort of like the, the uh, there's some aquatic animal, a dolphin that goes along and then dives deep. Uh -huh. um, there's certain topics that excite me and I'll dive really deep into it. And um, part of it is, you don't know, as the headline grab you and that first paragraph grab you. Um, but I, I think, again, given the whole landscape, I try to go as wide as possible. I subscribe to a bunch of things. I'll fly through on airplanes, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company and Business Week and Harvard Business Review and advertising age and automotive news and I'll take five or six of the magazines and fly through and mm -hmm. scan it and to me that's the way to keep the juices flowing and try to get as broad as possible because it, it is so changing all the time. Mm -hmm. When I recently interviewed Sereni Rao from Unmistakable Creative, he said there's a misconception of that successful people are leading chaotic lives but in reality that's rarely true that people like yourself are very you're conditioned for success because you figure out you're, you're deeply rooted in habits. So it, it sounds like even though, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of information, but you find a way to really consume it um, very effectively and have a filter. And what I'm so curious about your sort of daily routine, like when do you wake up? What do you read? What kind of coffee do you drink? <laughs> um, so I was smiling. It's a podcast. You can't see it. But the concept of routine and habits, uh, I was fortunate. Both my parents are um, both still alive, doing great and very successful in their own ways. And we all have our very focused, probably not right to say anal compulsive, but I'm a little anal, anal compulsive and organizational skills are key. Um, I'm pretty neurotic about a couple things as you probably remember from Digital Influence Group, like being on time, yeah. um, not having typos, a couple of those things. I get up early. I usually wake up, depending on where I am, obviously travel craziness, but somewhere between 5 and 5.30 and I work out. I'm obsessed with um, the P90X, like the insanity <laughs> piece. I love it. I've been doing it about three years, thanks to a former oh. Digitas colleague, and um, I absolutely love it. I'll do it on the road. I do it seven days a week. 
Um, wow, wait a minute. So this is, <laughs> this is great. So you wake up at 5, 5.30. Yep. The first thing you hit is working out. I to... work out. I do P90X. I go, when I'm home, I have a little place upstairs. I'll go and do a little 12-minute warm-up, and then there are 30-minute routines, um, and I'll do that, and that's the first thing I do. When I'm on the road, I'll do it in the hotel room. You know, there's there's a bunch of different they're beautiful they're videos on my laptop i take it with me i'm obsessed by it i'm you should be maniacally obsessed i love it you should i mean (laughs) you should be their spokesperson because a lot of their models are really fake and people who have no no jobs i mean no any endeavors of any sort and they're just working out but there there you are there's actually a pretty wide network of folks that are completely into it across all walks of life and you know for me once i Past a particular age, I was I was always working out. I've been fortunate mm-hmm. to be healthy and fit enough. I've never been um, too mm-hmm. heavy, but I didn't feel great. Even I'd work out in the gym or on an elliptical, and I always felt a little mm-hmm. like I was pedaling in place. And I got into P90X, and I absolutely love it. And so that starts my day. Wow. Um, so I'll do that. Okay. I I'm a big breakfast person. <laughs> I just love breakfast. Favorite meal of the day. What and do you I'm, make? Uh, I'm a cereal person. Occasionally, I'll do eggs when I'm on the road, but I'm I'm boring. You'll also find out it's just not that exciting. It's pretty typical routine. I'll have you know cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an absolute nutter Starbucks junkie. Uh, I will always not wacky drinks, but straight you know somewhere mild or bold coffee uh-huh. absolutely every single day uh-huh. um religiously i'm a big fan of starbucks and if you've read some of the stuff that i posted not just because i love the coffee but everything about the brand and them as a marketing um, machine they're unbelievable one of the best at social media one of the best at brand marketing one of the best at loyalty programs the absolute leader in mobile mm-hmm. commerce um and uh i'm i always prefer to get in you know, where again, depending on where I am in the world traveling wise, but start cranking right after breakfast early. I'm a morning person. I'm not a late night person. Um, and crank through the day traveling wherever I am and, um, you know, different stage of life now with being an empty nester. But when the kids were younger and home, and I think this was beaten into me a little bit, um, pressed upon me by my dad, who was a um, very successful uh, executive in the business world, he was always home for dinner when he wasn't traveling. And so yeah. it's something that we as a family have been fortunate um, to be focused on, which is when I was not out of town, I always tried to be home for dinner with the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, just the time and, you know, we would laugh as the kids would get older and no phones, no texting, no, mm-hmm. but family time was big. We're fortunate. I have a just met my wife downstairs running the cat shelter. And, um, you know, we've been, and still to this day, I feel strongly about getting home, having dinner, family time when I'm in town. And then I'll collapse sometime between, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and start it all over again. And um, I don't get up at five on the weekends, but I do get up and work out mm-hmm. first thing on the weekends as well. Do you meditate at all in any forms of meditation? I don't. Um, one of the things, though, that I like about P90X and the similar to the Insanity is they're, they're different workout programs that go from, um, you know, weights to cardio, and then they alternate Pilates and yoga mm-hmm. um, and then stretching throughout the course of a week. So I've actually loved the, you know, I wouldn't say it's meditating, but I love the peacefulness of both yoga and, and Pilates. And they're hard workouts, mm-hmm. but 
Um, yeah, in itself, I think if I remember there's yoga Pilates yep. infused into P90X, and that's definitely that's that is part of meditation. Yep, I'm um, a big fan of it. Yeah, me too. And I'm going to try it again. I had a trial, and it's really, I mean, it's very difficult, very challenging. And you work so much with your body instead yep. of looking for the right equipment or you know right fits. So I wish I knew about it. 30 years ago when I was, you know, trying to play sports and other stuff because I feel more fit and certainly more uh, flexible and limber than ever before. And I suppose that helps in the in the daily life. But um, no, I love it. Have you gone through like dozens of their CDs, uh, DVDs, because they have a whole collection? Yep. I've I'm on their third season now and I'm pretty obsessed on on that one. So, no, I love it. It's great. <laughs> Mentally, awesome. physically. Well, I, I have to try it. Convinced now. <laughs> Um, so I think family has been a, a theme since the beginning uh, yes. of our chat. And that's, as you know, I'm originally from Beijing and a family is, it's such a big deal. It mm-hmm. is everything. And I have, you know, since traveling to America since I was 16 years old, one thing that made me so happy is the fact that family remains to be very important, um, regardless of how busy everybody gets, because what people don't know about the Asian culture is once you start working, your kids are in school, you have all the excuses to not come home for dinner, but to go to business meetings and people thrive on these uh, things or excuses. Um, so could you tell me a little about your childhood, and where you grew up, what was the family dynamics like? Yeah, I you know it's it's um it's almost corny because as I compare it with other folks, it's eh, we're incredibly fortunate and knock on wood, it was happy, healthy. Um, my parents are um, married still, and they're in their sixty-something year of marriage. I'm not allowed to tell my mom's age because she would be offended. Um, but happily married, she's a professional violinist and and still teaches. My father's business executive who retired, quote unquote. Um, he is up until this year, he stopped playing competitive squash, but was nationally ranked in the over 75 in squash. Um, and, um, you know, they set a great tone. I have two older brothers. And so we joke, I'm the youngest of three. So I have a little bit of the young, younger brother syndrome. We always joke about being the three stooges and very close with my two brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was the five of us growing up and my parents set the tone and, you know, I think it was a, a happy, healthy, thriving childhood. And, you know, my mom was home with us when we were, you were younger. And then um, as we grew up, got back into the, the violin and my dad would go off to work. And he, I knew he had a ridiculously stressful job, but there was, you know, a couple of things that um, when he would come home and go through the door, he magically had the ability to leave his work um, at his office. And again, this was before emails and cell phones and texts and the stuff that keep us always on, but he'd turn it off and a phenomenal sense of humor and that stuck with me and it's something, and I can speak for my two brothers, that's something the three of us all took to our families. Mm-hmm. Um, so family has been you know, deeply embedded um, and uh, I was, how old was I, 25 when I met Kim and um, we're 24 when we met and we got married when I was 25 and we are coming up on our 30th year of marriage, which is, um, unfortunately, um, too unique out there. So, (laughs) um, we're very fortunate and she's great and we both keep each other, um, in place and laughing at ourselves and have a great time together and two great kids. And I absolutely cannot complain at all, but no family, hugely important, something that, um, I think some of my best, 
bosses and mentors over the years always made family a hugely mm-hmm. important part. It was certainly something I tried to do um, at Digitas and at Digital Influence Group with big teams was to make sure that people realize that, you know, go take care of the family, go do stuff that's hugely important because, you know, mm-hmm. work is fine, important, but really not compared to everything else. So mm-hmm. um, I just think that's hugely important everywhere. And I think we're seeing it with where people decide where they want to work. They want to work in a fun, engaging place, but also mm-hmm. have a life and mm-hmm. have it feel like that that's valued, not, um, gee, this is horrible for me to want to go home and have dinner with my family. Yeah. What, which Did you grow up in Massachusetts by chance? Or? I did. I actually, um, oddly enough, grew up in the town that I live in. Oh. Um, did not think we would ever come back here. <laughs> um, and my wife is from north of the, of the city here. And mm-hmm. we met and um, lived in Wakefield for a number of years and then actually moved back here for the schools. And wow. sort of full circle, you hate to admit that, um, sorry, mom, if you listen, but you hate to admit your parents were right. But yeah. Um, they moved here for the schools and we moved back for the schools. And so we're, you know, very fortunate that um, the grandparents, one set of grandparents were right around the corner and wow. the other one's 25 minutes away, which was really great for the kids as they were growing up. Yeah. So they, they so. feel like they don't lose touch with them. Right. It was, it was nice. We were very fortunate. Yeah. Before we get to the business <laughs> world and I feel like you're so, you're, you're definitely, you know, in the the primary thought leadership and has really influenced me in many ways. But I'm just very curious, if you were to look back to when you were about 10 years old, so not a baby, 10 years old, and what are some of the things that you felt passionate about? What are some of the events you you still remember? 10. Um, Well, so that means I was about to get into the really awkward middle school goofy years. Um, Wow, it's, it's some tough times and memories back then. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the in the world. I won't date myself, but back, you know, the Vietnam time. Um, and I was the youngest of three brothers. And so following in their footsteps, they're both ridiculously successful. And I always had a few really good friends. And I think there was, you know, that was when I was absolutely doing the getting into, I was heavily into music and theater and trying to be good at sports, which I Mm -hmm. was not incredibly successful at. I did play tennis. Um, But um, it was just sort of a fun, carefree age, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up in a family of brothers, we were completely obsessed by all things Boston sports. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we had, um, that was the year that the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. And I remember the picture of Bobby Orr up, uh, the poster up on the wall and yeah. um, sort of started my love affair of all things Boston sports and how spoiled we've been in the Boston area with our sports teams. He was signing, a, uh, he was giving out autographs at New England Book Fair. And I was, um, the, it's so interesting, the general manager from Sapien at the time was so obsessed with him as well. <laughs> and I was going to like buy his book. I got all planned out and it was like three miles yeah. of people. He's an icon. He was a beloved, beloved, changed the sport and uh, yeah. folks in Boston loved him. Mm. So that was me at 10. <laughs> the, it's so powerful because somebody, I think James Altucher threw a question out and said, when you look back to when you were 10 years old, that really shaped into some of your passions, your dreams today, and how, not necessarily what you do day in and day out, but sort of in the background and what your what your passion projects may be outside of um, 
outside of what you do, quote unquote, professionally, because I feel like that line for you, it's it's really blurry now. I saw Horizons uh, for Homeless Children. Yes. And um, so we'll we'll get there. And um, so let's talk about your professional work. And I got to know so much about you. We worked on a project uh, together very briefly for a new business pitch. I was the producer. And I love the fact that you appreciate the notes, the next steps, the decisions made, the decisions <laughs> we made. And I, it was very interesting because it was a very young company um, filled with people in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you're, su- you're such a nerd. Why are you doing these things? But you knew exactly why I was doing those things. And, you know, this morning I was thinking people said to me, one of the reasons that Fei you'll never be powerful is because you always have your heart. And I was thinking, wow, that's that's interesting. But then I thought about you. You know, every time since I left Dig, every time I wrote you a message, uh, you've always responded. Uh, not to mention that you continue to introduce me to new opportunities. Um, and I realize you're someone who have your heart and have your power. <laughs> and that's why I'm really interested in learning how how you think about that and how. I mean, it's so tough to to be the president, to be a C-level person. Something that I honestly can't quite imagine myself doing at all. I can't. I don't do well when people complain to me or have to remedy certain very tough situations. How, how do you do all that all these years? <laughs> well, you're very, very kind words. Thank you. Um, don't sell yourself short, by the way. Uh, I think sometimes <laughs> people think of... Um, the word leader as the person who's the most outspoken and the loudest um, getting attention, which I think through the years is not always true. And in fact, all too often, it's in fact the complete opposite that I think people lead in so many different ways. And, um, you know, I remember the new business pitch and the my experience with producers and project management folks is um, some of the best leaders in the place because they tend to remove emotion from a lot of the decision making and get focused on the facts. Mm-hmm. And in our world of, in the case of you know digital and social media and building websites and doing stuff, you can get caught up in what a particular client wants and opinions and what creative thinks and a variety of parts. And you ha- you need that sort of rock solid leader to sit there and go, that's nice. We have seven days to do this, and it looks like we're going to need 14. That doesn't work. And I think, um, to me, that's why I've always valued the, um, you know, compulsive, back to our dialogue, compulsive organized side to help complement creativity. Mm -hmm. They have to go hand in hand. hand. Otherwise, it's this wonderful adventure of chaos that doesn't get anywhere. At the end of the day, horrible phrase, but we still need to build the website, launch it, make sure it's QC'd and QA, make sure it works and can receive this and that and the other stuff. And that's why it's the blend of talent. And so with that, to me, I think the reason I've loved being in consulting, the reason I've loved being in the agency world and um, is it's people business. And the back to curious, the curiosity side, I love people that are passionate, focused and want to work as a team um and that to me in the agency world keeps me young to your point i you know leading digital influence group with whatever we were 25 30 40 50 people at one point the average age under the age of 30 was energizing and it was a i had the fortune of you know leading big teams at 
at Digitas with about 900 people across three offices. And there's some great stuff about that and there's some challenges. And leading a small team, there's some great stuff about it and there's some challenges. But the common themes are really good people who have fun working together, work hard together. um, And I think realizing everybody's bringing different strengths to the table and trying to create an, an environment and a culture that um, not only accepts it, but embraces it. That's why we're in this thing. We're not creating a, you know, it's not a new hardware assembly line of the new sheet rock mm-hmm. fastener where it's automated, you crank it, you pull the lever and do it. It's not. We're creating something unique each time and it's its brains and its data and its creativity and its wacky ideas. And mm-hmm. um, I th- it's clearly the best stuff is not driven by hierarchy or titles at all. Mm-hmm. It's driven by, can you put the right people in a room? Can you fuel some energy, unlock the creativity, and then figure out how you romance it and tell it and get a client excited about it and prove that it works? And that, to me, crosses backgrounds, cultures, ethnicity, age, experience. Um, and I think the for us as leaders, we need to we need to make sure that we're creating an environment that allows that to flourish. Otherwise, the good people are going to leave, and mm. you're not going to you're not going to win. It's actually painfully simple mm. um, in this business. Yeah. Did it surprise you that I just found out you're the youngest out of three boys? You have your parents, and so everybody in the family who's older than you, and all of them are very successful, very powerful. Did it surprise you that you be then later on become the C level, the president of these? you know, medium, uh, small, medium, large companies. Was it, did it feel real? I mean. Look, I was really fortunate <laughs> to work with some phenomenal people. And there was one post that I that I did a little while ago about the five people who inspired me and started with my dad. And one early on was the managing partner, David Morrison at CDI, the consulting firm that I worked at mm-hmm. long ago. It was a Bain spinoff. And he was just an unbelievable leader and sort of neat to say, oh, I learned that from him and that from her mm-hmm. along the way. And then I was really fortunate at Digitas to work with David Kenny, who um, was the CEO at Digitas, ended up being uh, promoted and more senior at Publicis Group, left to go be president of Akamai, was the CEO of Weather Company, and actually just on Friday... IBM completed the deal with the weather company and David got named to be the general manager globally of the Watson business, which is an unbelievably cool, huge business. And he, um, he, uh, each of those people left Mm -hmm. little imprints on me that has stuck with me. David is one of, I clearly not only one of the most brilliant, but ridiculously busy people. Mm -hmm. Um, and always, always, always has time for me. And will your point about connecting that was beaten into me that, he he's somewhere around the globe and he'll respond in a in a text or an email and um always has time and when i was trying to figure out um a next gig he would always make time and it's just sort of it left a message about you know he says well he'll make time because i was great to him and we work great together but he didn't have to Mm -hmm. um but he cared and we had a personal connection as opposed to just a business connection and um, that has absolutely stuck with me over the years. And so I was fortunate to work with and for some great mm-hmm. people. And I think as we grow as individuals, you try to take the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, oh, I loved working for that person. And gee, I didn't really love working for that person. Or that thing really annoyed me. And I think you try to learn to, mm-hmm. I want to mimic that and make sure I avoid 
this. Um, And I think that's how we grow as individuals and as leaders. That makes so much sense because when I was in my, especially all the way through my 20s, I'm in my early 30s now, is I always look at leaders and people who are very successful, yet very happy, have good relationship with their families, their families still want to see them. And and I constantly said to myself, well, I want to be like him or her when I grow up. Um, but, you know, going back to just being powerful was very recently I was in a women's leadership meeting just internally at Arnold and it was all girls. And then there were a lot of female in leadership positions at Arnold, you know, Pam and Barb, Nerd and Allison, they're all lined up there. And I remember this one like little Asian girl, she must be like 21. She raised her hand. Pam, I have a question for you. I just want to say that I want your job. I really, I would love to be the president. And I started chuckling and I I had a question ready. I said, Pam, I just want to make it very clear. I don't want your job. <laughs> My question is this, and it was almost silence. And and I know that sometimes when I say I don't want to be the CEO, the president turns certain people off. But what I also know is, it, I'm telling the truth, but what I also know is it, it, there are so many things that people don't even know that as a, as a leader of an organization have to deal with. Because when I talk to people, they almost think it's all some, you know, unicorns and rainbows and like big take home a paycheck. There's nothing to worry about. There's a lot to worry about. I mean, I see through the corners of people's eyes and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I can be the CEO of Face World Inc. I have no problem doing that. But what are some of the behind the scenes and, and sort of, you know, challenges and frictions and um, maybe some of the things that people don't know and then you're you're in that position you're able to kind of find your peace and find your balance and be successful look if you're running a a business especially in the agency world or consulting world um you have a bunch of pressures you have pressures with uh, shareholders whether it's public or um you know a board of some sort or 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 funders you have a pressure with clients that you kind of need clients otherwise you're not in the business and you have pressures around the team and the people Um, and all three are important and as a ceo certainly all three constituencies are critically important Um, and they pop at different times and they are handled differently and sometimes they're aligned and most of the time they're not aligned Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have shareholders that are looking to flip a business or make a profit, they focus you on short-term growth. Um, if you have a focus on short-term growth, you don't tend to make decisions around invest in the long term or hiring ahead of the curve. You try to balance that. If you have clients that are completely maniacally obsessed on um, the variety of the work, they're, they're the pulse of the business, but actually the pulse of the business is the talent. And it's mm-hmm. trying to figure out that mix of what's right for the business, what's right for the clients, what's right for the people. So a perfect example is you got a really good person who is working on your biggest account and it's the most profitable account and they've been doing it for two years. Well, guess what? They probably want to change. Well, the client doesn't want to lose them, but the person kind of wants to do something else. The economics of the business say, oh my gosh, don't do that. But as a as a leadership team, you know that if you don't do it, the normal thing that's going to happen is the person's going to leave. And it's up to you to figure out, how do I do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the business? How do I have a conversation with the client? How do I put somebody in place that they go, oh my gosh, I can get rid of Sally because I got Faye. I'm okay with that. And it's the right thing for Sally. By the way, it's the right opportunity for Faye. And we're not going to lose the business. I think it's the those kinds of things that you sort of have to factor in everything 
Um, and it is a people business and people are mostly great. Sometimes they're not, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes it's um, for not good reasons. And I think you have to figure out, I mean, you've had people work for you. Um, you've been in your own situation. You have to figure out what's going on. Do they have, is there something really bad going on in their life, by the way, that's just making them, quote, cranky? Mm-hmm. The, um, I had a, a former boss who said, assume positive intent, which is such a great phrase because especially you think about an email and how people start to go, oh, they must be devious and they're trying to do something. Well, maybe they didn't mean that. You know, yeah. take a deep breath before yeah. you reply all and, <laughs> and respond badly. Um, but, you know, maybe someone is saying, look, it happens all the time around per, every time there's a promotion and you celebrate somebody, somebody's not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance that? And I think the, the world of transparency and requires better and better communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you, t- you mentioned a 21-year-old. It's I wasn't brought up this way, but folks under the age of 30 share salary. Everybody knows what everybody makes. Whether you want, whether you tell them it's private or not, you're mm-hmm. giving out a bonus. Everybody knows. Right. And so you can either try to duck your head and hide it, or you can be a little bit clearer about how people are being measured. The more you're open, mm-hmm. the more it's about. Look, we care about what you're doing for the client, what you're running internally, the variety of things. I can I can guide you and have that conversation. You're not going to please everybody. And I think having been at a place long ago where leaders tried to placate everybody, it was mm-hmm. a bit of a least common denominator, mm-hmm. you know, vanilla. Mm-hmm. And you have to pick. You can't please everybody. You can't do everything. What are the three things that are going to be most important? How do you make sure you're clear and transparent and open? Um, and I've had many mistakes over the years where I look back and go, oh, should have handled that differently. And there are times where you're like, Yep, we nailed that. And I think that's mm-hmm. life in the in the business is to pick the spots, go forward, and just try to be open and mm-hmm. have really good people, hire great people, mm-hmm. um, enable them, let them go where it makes sense to let them go, guide them where it doesn't make sense, and mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully you'll you'll succeed. Yeah. I, the recently I learned that the word the word the phrase rescue yourself. Uh, it's something that I learned is to not keep looking back or even especially in the current <laughs> moment I criticize, my, criticize myself constantly depending on the guests I'm interviewing and especially there was one time the chemistry wasn't working and I was just insanely like oh how do I turn this around where this guest is really really intelligent he's amazing and I just couldn't put two words together and and I realized what I learned through podcasting is to rescue myself <laughs> and to not be myself up because that's so easy to do um, I love that. I love that example. It's a great phrase. It's a great phrase. It's also, you know, I think I've always felt the way when I've um, been on panels with folks, mm-hmm. um, when I've moderated a panel, I try to understand the people yeah. and interesting exactly what you did. Um, people are, last I checked, people are humans mm-hmm. and there's a business topic subject. Mm-hmm. But um, if you think about the panels that you've loved you've probably loved them because the people are interesting and they've had fun together. Mm -hmm. And I think you feel it, the audience feels it. And so I try to do it whether I'm, if I'm giving a presentation or moderating a panel or interviewing someone, you learn about them, you figure out what makes them tick. This is where the the web and social media is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember there was, when I took over this one client, the the client was deemed just, she was evil, she was brutal, it was Uh hard. you know, I remember walking into her office and seeing a big poster of cats. 
well, given you've met my wife and yeah. she runs a cat shelter, guess what? We started talking about cats. All of a sudden, boom, it's human and it's connections. And I think um, a lot of times people focus on, I think I, I tried to bring this digital influence group, but we have this at Digitouse. We were looking at new business wins and when we'd win and when we lose. And mm-hmm. it came down that we were really good at the rational part, the answer. Yeah. We were not as good on the emotional part with mm-hmm. the clients mm-hmm. or the political part. What makes them tick? How are they getting judged? What are the key metrics? And mm-hmm. so I think that... Um, it, in business, in team-oriented, thinking about not just the right answer, mm-hmm. but all the other aspects, because it's a people business, is really yeah. important. You just uh, triggered a thought from way back, got to be 2008, that we were, a team of us were working for a very difficult client, and this this gentleman in particular had no connection, probably said two words to us all together, somehow, some way, we found out his youngest son is, is sick, and it was going through surgery, so mm. you know, and and very difficult time. So, and all of a sudden, we just fell. Forget about business for a second, and we just want to do something. And so, I faked an answer. I said I had a cousin who was three years old. My cousin was already probably like ten at the time. And you know what? What does a little boy want for Christmas? And it was Christmas time. What kind of? And he started. He. I just saw his whole face kind of start to relax. Yeah, and then he said, my son, the younger one, three years old, he want to be a firefighter. That's his That's his dream. And he. so all of a sudden, the entire team went out to Toys R Us and bought this, like, the biggest fire truck. That's great. It was amazing. And then ever since then, our conversation turned around. Not that the, the truck cost more than, like, $19 or something, but all of a sudden, we're human again. So we start to not only rescue ourselves, but also each other. Um, speaking of rescue and just helping other people, I was really surprised to find out that you're on the board for Horizons for Homeless Children. Mm-hmm. And what is your what is your role there? What have you done like for this amazing organization? Yeah, thanks for asking. It is an amazing organization. So this started shortly after I um, was named president of Digitas and got a cross section of folks together and really trying to understand again, what people cared about. And one of the things that became very apparent and is more pressing now than ever before was the employees, especially, I hate to use the word younger talent, but (laughs) the younger talent pushing hard for what are we doing for the community and what are we doing as a brand. And, Mm -hmm. um, And one of the, so we got a group of folks together to talk about what could we do. And one of the people on the team um, Jen Putnam, who is um, now the executive creative director at Allen & Gerritsen, was involved volunteering, helping out this organization, Horizons for Homeless Children, and thought that there was an opportunity for a, folks, a few folks at Digitas to help. And I was very interested. And um, we actually painted, uh, her team designed it, we painted a mural uh, it was about eight feet high and 60 feet wide in a playground. And actually, my two kids and wife went. We did a bunch of volunteering and painted it, and it was just so fantastic. And I got introduced to the um, some of the staff and a couple of the board members and um, realized that the board was made up of a lot of people who had finance background, were wonderfully supportive donors and and or had some law background, which is happens a lot in nonprofit boards. But they didn't really have people enough that had more of a marketing background. And that they asked, would you be interested in, you know, using your brains a little bit? And it was the timing was great. And so I ended up interviewing, I had to go through the interviewing process and got elected to the board. 
and was one of several. It's an amazing board. There's about, I don't know, 30 people on the board. It continues to be incredibly well run. Um, and then over the years, I've worked my way up now. So I co-lead the marketing and development um, subcommittee of the board, and I'm part of the executive committee. And Horizons for Homeless Children is, you know, quick shout out. It's focused on Massachusetts. Um, it is maniacally focus on trying to break the cycle of childhood homelessness. The statistics, which are pretty hard to pin down exactly, mm-hmm. are even ballpark painful that there's estimates there's 1.3 million um, homeless children in the United States. There's about 110,000 in Massachusetts. The average age of a homeless person in Massachusetts is eight. Um, the homeless children are like a somewhere between three to four times more likely to be held back a year. Childhood homelessness has increased about 67% in the last um, five years. So it's a real problem if you think about, and again, homelessness for kids is not on the streets necessarily. It's couch surfing, it's in a hotel, it's in a shelter, um, it's staying at a friend's house. And it mm-hmm. um, Horizons for Homeless Children has a two-pronged model. There's three community centers that touch somewhere between 150 and 200 children at a time. It's Think of it as kindergarten six months old to six years old to allow what's usually a single parent more often than not a single mom could be a guardian to go and either get a degree or look for a job because there's this they don't have the time they don't have a place to put with the kids they can't afford child care therefore they don't do it and you just have this brutal homelessness and then they also have volunteers that are in uh, about 90 percent of all of the shelters in Massachusetts that accept children and it's it's phenomenal it's been around 25 years. Um, the board is great. The organization's amazing. And it's when you sort of step back and think about kids, mm-hmm. homelessness, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, it's one of those causes where you go, it's just not right. It's not okay that mm-hmm. we have that problem. And so I'm fortunate to be able to you know, try to help with some marketing and business um, skills and fundraising skills. And it's, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. It's oh been amazing. God. I couldn't push people more to get involved with a nonprofit board. Wow. It's fantastic. Well, can really I great. just mention briefly that as of last week, I was uh, nominated or uh, to be working as a, a young board member at the Friends of Boston Homeless. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Fantastic. I was so excited. I was oh, pumped showing up at the it's board great. meeting. <laughs> you know, the other thing that you'll find, because I found it, is not only is it rewarding yeah. intellectually, and emotionally, but selfishly from a from a pure business standpoint, the people involved in, I mean, Boston's a pretty small city. Yeah. The board members that are involved are movers and shakers in the city. And so for True. me, I've got connections to people that, you know, I may or may not have ever been able to get, we're not in the same mm-hmm. business circles, for example, but mm-hmm. unbelievably generous people connected in a variety of places. And that part of the I mean, that part has been a lucky strike extra reward for growth, but to be around these people, watch how they work and think, and then mm-hmm. feel like you're actually contributing to a cause is is great. And there's tons of great causes, and people should donate mm-hmm. whatever they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I always push for people to you know pick something you're passionate about. Yeah. I never thought about that. Just last week when we had the meeting, I realized I was uh, at the table with just 10 people, and other than the gentleman, Matt Lindley, who referred me, everybody else had a different profession, yeah. drastically different uh, family business, two doctors, one at home writer whose husband is in medicine. And it just, 
it's it's almost there's a parallel with me doing uh, martial art taekwondo for the past 15 years and everybody's different and i think it's in a way that it really helps me kind of break away from purely advertising marketing yep think along that terms and think differently but still use those skills to actually benefit these nonprofit organizations very powerful um I have to ask about parenthood. I have been absolutely fascinated. <laughs> and you have a great relationship with your kids, and I see them on your Facebook page all the time. They're very successful, both of them. And what are some of the, the lessons learned as a parent being in your position? And, and just we, all the things that we talked about, volunteer opportunities, and, and what, what is that like for you? Um, so I just, you know, shout out to my wife who was a hugely successful um, headhunter recruiter and um, gave up, uh, if that's the right phrase, um, decided that the best thing for the kids would be to stay home with the kids. So for me, traveling and doing everything that I did, um, Kim was just uh, unbelievable what she did. And it was such a luxury. She thrived. She was phenomenal. Um, and you know, kids go through all sorts of things as they grow up, physical, mental, a variety of things. Um, and, and Kim was the rock. So I was incredibly fortunate. Um, I, that means that I had, you know, she clearly was, um, the main provider of the kids. And I was fortunate in some respects that, um, I had to be, you know, you have to, Kim and I have fantastic relationship and great communication. There's that mm-hmm. word again, mm-hmm. um, because it needed I needed to be reinforcing as opposed to hey let me come flying in and give my opinion that has completely undermined a week of mm-hmm. um, <laughs> what Kim's done with the kids while I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been fortunate. The kids were were great. We um, you know tried to keep them safe, healthy, thriving, mm-hmm. um, be themselves. I think um, it's it was. Actually, interesting. I mentioned this earlier, but I was I was pretty involved in very involved in music and, and theater when I was growing up, and both of my kids similarly got involved in music and theater. And one of the the best things for me was um, when they got to middle school and high school. I would volunteer every Saturday to help with theater. We would mm-hmm. build sets, and mm-hmm. um, I was handy enough to be dangerous. But um, it was something that bonded with the kids, and so with. Um, with Alex as he went through high school and then Kate when she followed four years later into high school. Um, so for eight years, I was there on a Saturday with them and being able to volunteer around the theater company. And it was great. I got to meet their friends that way. It was something that was near and dear to me and um, and loved it. And so we've been fortunate. We have a great relationship, stayed close even as they're growing up and mm-hmm. um, into their own lives right now. Um, knock on wood, but no, things are things are great. And I, I start that again back to my parents and the tone that they set mm-hmm. um, and passed down as something that both Kim and I believe in, um, you know, feel very strongly about that. What are the things or lessons that you would leave with your children that is not, you know, I ask executives this question, something that's not money, not wealth, and what would be super important for them to know and remember? Oh boy, you probably should ask them that, um, what's left. I would like to think (laughs) that um, they feel strongly about um, trustworthiness and, you know, being human, compassionate, and um, certainly (laughs) being organized. They're both Mm -hmm. ridiculously organized, which is, um, I think, has served them well. I think the other thing that's important, and I've certainly... um, tried to carry that through everything is just you know putting stuff in perspective having a sense of humor 
again, back to two older brothers and being a Three Stooges. Humor is really important to me. I think, you know, hopefully you felt that at Digital Influence Group that he, we would have fun and whether it was, you know, silly little events, uh, whether it was the Clammy Awards or ping pong table or mm-hmm. getting together and getting some food. I think that's really important to put stuff in perspective, especially now with everything going on in the world. There's great stuff and you can get you get really down with all of the craziness and scary stuff going on. And I think um, I think a little sense of humor is important mm-hmm. all the way through. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I can assure you when I was working a dig, <laughs> I would just wake up in the morning, seriously, like rest in bed and thinking, wow, I, I'm so thrilled I'm going to work. And I honestly can't say that uh, for the other jobs, but I felt that way. I felt like I'm going to work with my friends, with my family. You know, people thought I was pretty cool, and the kids look at I me. Mean, the kids, I was in my late twenties, but people that very are cool. Who are you kidding? Once everybody learned that you're a martial <laughs> arts expert, no one wanted to cross you as well. I was so funny that always came up, and they even warned the clients like, "You better get your next steps done, or else Faye's going to." It was so fun. It's great. Uh, wow, is there anything um, that I haven't touched upon that the tip of your tongue? You know, the only thing I'd say, and it's actually top of mind to me because um, I went to Tufts University and Mm -hmm. have gone back and guest lectured. And um, just in December, I think, or end of November, um, there was a senior career day. And um, I was fortunate they asked me to come and give the keynote. And it was really fun because I I love the people are so smart and Mm -hmm. so curious and so creative at so much a younger age than... I was, um, but you know, the, actually, the theme of the of the talk was um, why it's why you're better now, why it's a better time to join the working population than it was for me. And I do think that you know, social media is fantastic. It's obviously can be evil, and mm-hmm. with kids, I'm glad I don't have teenagers going through social media because it's really hard. Yeah. Um, there's some awful stuff that's out there, but the access to information, the the power of a mobile device, our ability to, you know, who would have thought you, when I joined the workforce, you did your time, mm-hmm. you'd work a place three to five years, you'd get promoted with heads down and it would be fine. And if you wanted to find another job, it was a little bit tricky. And now mm-hmm. there's ratings about the company. You can yeah. share your points of view. You have more information at your fingertips than um, the ever before the amount of data that's out there from a to be a marketer or a business person there's more power in your Samsung phone right now than there was on the first space shuttle by the mm-hmm. way that was a fun little factoid that's out there so you it's an amazing amazing time to join the workforce um, I think people need to appreciate that that um, and you know I my guidance to the the people coming out was that mm-hmm. there's a lot of really smart people and yes do well in school that's critically important but I think in our profession business again I can't say doctor or lawyer yeah. um, type of grad school but we care about how do you think and um, I always try to find how people think mm-hmm. you know what and then what makes you tick and you know coming full circle about people, I think people can pigeonhole folks that you're going to be a, you're a producer. Well, guess what? When I know that Faye is an expert in martial arts and loves travel and loves cuisine, Mm -hmm. you become a person. And I think that is something hugely important, again, in our world, which is to not just pigeonhole people based on the title and what they they do, but Mm -hmm. realize that their different experiences are what brings, again, the best ideas. And at the end of the day, you want people to wake up and 
love the concept of going to work. And I think that's our role as, as leaders is to create that type of environment. Wow. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've, um, I incorporate face world. And one of the, one of the things in addition to working with businesses and people and the third category is students, because I also personally felt really, I just feel energized whenever I go to Commonwealth school, uh, agree. Yeah, Newton North and just teach them about project management production and the students I recently helped who are now just freshman, sophomore in college, when they were in high school, I helped them out with the project as an advisor. I didn't think they were going to win, but they went, all, <laughs> <laughs> they went all the way through to MIT and they sent me a picture three months ago of them standing next to President Obama. I was like, oh my. It's all because of you. <laughs> it's not, it's not <laughs> no, it's very rewarding. It's very energizing. Yeah, they, they were such smart. I mean, they were really smart to begin with. Um, but it just be part of that journey. And I interview them on my podcast as well. Great. It's so wonderful. Um, can I steal that presentation that you have at Tufts or kind of provide a little blurb? I'll, I'll absolutely share that with you. Thank you so much. It's going to be so cool. Thank you so much my for pleasure. your time. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. That was fun. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.